It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. This is the Bengals post-game edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering as we recap the Bengals' 15-10 win at the Denver Broncos. Rick, there's a lot to unpack for a 15-10 game, and you're usually the best at setting me up for this. So I'm just going to let you, I'm going to turn to you on this. But bottom line is, Huge win. It puts them technically in first place in the AFC North. We can talk about the ramifications of moving forward with Baltimore losing and where things stand, but um, you lose today in big trouble. You win today, suddenly got a chance to win the North. Things are certainly looking up. It was one of those games you, you had to have, and they found a way. It wasn't pretty, but they came out with the win. I think you got to start with the defense and the way the defense yep. played today. It looked a lot like the team we saw against the Steelers and the Raiders. And they hadn't looked that way the last few weeks. So it was good to see them bounce back. What really stood out to you about the defense today? Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is obviously, you know, Denver's not a very dynamic offensive team. They want to run the football, and the Bengals have been really good against the run all year. You know, Denver still had 133 yards and still averaged almost four yards a pop, but it never felt um, like they got in a rhythm in the running game, right? I mean, they never strung together four-yard carry, five-yard carry, third and one first down. It was always a one and maybe a five and then an incomplete pass. And they popped a couple in the second half for, you know, double digit gains, but nothing ever major. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, if it wasn't for Trey Wayne's misplaying a pass from, from Drew Locke in the end zone, that it looked like for all the world, he was going to intercept and, and didn't, I mean, they hold them to three points on a 50 something yard field goal. I thought the defense was great all day. 292 yards allowed. I, I, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more, but I know there was some hand wringing. I had some friends of mine texting me. I mean, literally I had three guys texting me at the same time with the same point when Zach decided to run the ball under two minutes and they punted. And I said, why are you not good with this? They need a touchdown and they're going to have to go 80 plus yards with no timeouts in a minute four. And I got the whole, well, play to win the game. I said, I think you are. If it was a field goal, I'll give you that. But at this point, especially the way the defense was playing, if you can't trust them to hold a guy from going 80 yards with no timeouts who's a backup quarterback, then who are you going to trust? And guess what? The defense then really turned it on. You know, they had the sack. They pushed him back. They never allowed anything. They almost intercepted a pass. Uh, they dominated that last drive. And so that was a great way, I thought, for them to cap it off because they really earned they earned a big part of that win today. Yeah, I want to get back to that third and eight decision here yep. in a minute. But let's stick on the defense for a second. You mentioned Trey Wayne, so I'll go negative first. He didn't look good aside from no. that the touchdown that he gave up. There was also the missed tackle um, right around the end zone on Javante Williams. That would have been a huge play that you just got to make in that situation. I mean, there wasn't a a ton of miscues or anything like that, but in the the few times that we saw him in a position to make a play, he, he whiffed. Yeah. And then he got, he got yanked late. Trey flowers came in and I think probably that was the, uh, the altitude and the fact that this was his first game in a long time. And so I'm sure wind was a factor and maybe that was a factor, Rick, honestly, on the missed tackle at the goal line. I'm not looking to make an excuse, but maybe it was, he played a lot of snaps, uh, for a guy that, uh, you know, you're trying to work back into the mix in, in a really tough environment to try to do that without a lot of conditioning. You know, you can do all the conditioning in the world, but nothing simulates game speed until you do game speed. So I'm going to give a little bit of that. Um, and, and yeah, I, I can't make an excuse for the, uh, the missed interception, but, uh, you know, I think, I thought he played a bunch of important snaps today. I, I, I wouldn't want to see Trey flowers out there all day. At least you got to see Trey Waynes for a good chunk of it. And he was a big part of the defense that limited them to 10 points. And, and Eli Apple was really good on the other yeah, side. He, he held Jerry Judy without a catch on four targets and made a couple of nice plays. 
up front, I thought the run defense was really good. DJ Reader and Larry Ogunjobi were difference makers. Ogunjobi had four tackles, one and a half sacks, two quarterback hits, and a tackle for loss. He came up big, especially in a few key moments. And then the, the guy that I thought really flashed in this game was Jermaine Pratt. Oh, from the he, was, linebacker he was great. Position. He was great. Yeah, he had 15 tackles, nine solos, had half a sack and a quarterback hit. But maybe the best play of the game that he had didn't end up counting because there was a, a holding penalty anyway. But that that pass breakup he had downfield late in the game was spectacular. Yeah. No, I, I forgot about that one. You're right. That was a great play. I mean, he's he's downfield r- running with people he shouldn't be running with. And no, I, I tell you what, you talk about a guy that's really stepped up when Logan Wilson went out. And it kind of sucks because they had lost the previous two games and then, you know, did win today. But Jermaine Pratt had been really good since Logan Wilson went out. And and now the hope would be if if Logan Wilson can return for the Ravens game, and you got to hope that with Joe Batchy probably out, I would assume, with the knee injury. Um, and Marcus Bailey played okay. But, you know, now you suddenly have two playmaking linebackers perhaps. And, and maybe this is what Jermaine needed. He needed to be thrust in the spotlight and go, dude, it's yours. Because let's not forget, he played alongside Josh Bynes, veteran presence. Let him do his thing. This year was Logan Wilson taking over the headset, making the calls, making plays. You're kind of a, a second fiddle. And all of a sudden now, you're the guy with the with the dot. You're the guy having to make the play calls. You're the guy being asked to go make plays. And he did it. Um, and he's done it actually over the last three, three games when, when Wilson got hurt. But today, he really shined. The 15 tackles, as you mentioned, nine solo, um, you know, the 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 ancillary stuff as well. The quarterback sack, the half a quarterback sack that he and Marcus Bailey had. I, I thought he was outstanding. Yeah, he was he was everywhere. He was good in coverage. It was it, it seemed like every time the defense was making a play, he was involved in some form or fashion or right there and around he just, it. Yeah, and he just looked – I hate to do this because it's terrible to say because I don't watch film of them all the time. He just looked faster, right? It's he looked true. Like he, he looked like a guy with more confidence that's getting more confidence that's playing faster. And with that – yeah, that's exactly what it is more than likely is that he's recognizing things and he's just getting to things quicker. It's, it's probably not a physical thing as much as it is how he's processing the game. Right, right. In terms of other guys that stood out, Trey Hendrickson – once again, you know, he, he gets the half a sack to keep his streak going. But what really stood out to me was the two holding penalties. Oh, that yeah. He forced late on them where he probably would have had a sack if they didn't reach out and hold him. Those are huge plays right there. They're basically just as big as a sack. No, no question. I think sometimes they're bigger because sometimes a sack is a two-yard loss, right? And, and yeah, you get the down and all that stuff. But, hey, we're talking about a 10-yard penalty in these cases. And you're right, Bowles could not block him, single block him when they had to do that late in the game. He owned him. And and I, you just continue to see this guy with the motor. Um, he has been everything you could have hoped for and then some. He just continues to make play after play. And you're right, it's so funny because all you look at is kind of the raw stats, right, of, oh, he only had a half a sack or, you know, he only had a couple. But no, I mean, that's 20 yards worth of penalties. That's technically 20 yards worth of sack yardage. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, he, he really... He was impossible for them to single block, and, and Bowles couldn't do it. And he continues to do it in the clutch, too. Right, right. Those holding penalties came at, at critical the moments. The closer. Yeah, he really has been. Yeah, the closer. I mean, be, 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 be the closer, and he's the closer. All right, let's go back to that third and eight play that you were talking about when the Bengals opted to run on third and eight right after the two-minute warning. They were at their own 39. Did you have a problem with the run? What was nope. your thoughts? No. Nope. Uh, and like I said, I had a bunch of friends texting me. They were all up in arms of, he better throw this. And I said, 
No, utilize the time, and maybe you pop it, and maybe you don't, but at the very least, they're going to get the ball back. And I actually, I think I predicted to one guy, I said, with 64 to 68 seconds left, having to go 80, 85 yards, hopefully longer if a good punt takes place, but somewhere around that. And you're going to ask this guy to go the distance? I said, if it's a field goal game, I might give it to you. If all they need is to go down and kick a field goal, I might say, hey, you got to be aggressive in that situation. you got to try to get the first down because a field goal, I'm not letting a field goal beat me. But the fact they had to go the whole distance to get a touchdown at that point if you don't trust the defense that has done it all day then who do you trust I mean I thought that was just a good game management decision I, I get usually going for the jugular and saying hey a first down wins the game well listen they've had a hard time throwing all day you're playing against the the number one rated pass completion defense in the NFL the number four passer rating defense in the NFL they're not going to give up much on third and eight they're tough to pass against on first and ten off a of play action or on second and one when you want to take a shot and they showed it all day and you haven't pass protected great and you're down to Jackson Carmen at right guard and Fred Johnson playing at right tackle no I'm going to run the ball and make him use clock I thought it was a smart move I I I get going for the win on I get the whole you get the first down you win it. I think your chances were less to get the first down than to utilize clock. And so I'm glad I did that in real time with friends so I could talk to you about it because I literally, I I can show you text if anybody doesn't believe me. I was all for the whole run it, punt, play defense because your defense has been great all day. Let me preface this by saying I didn't really have a big problem with it either way. I thought either decision could have been argued fairly and I don't think it was a terrible mistake to run it or pass it. However, the one thing I don't really understand that people keep saying is trust your defense, trust your defense. Well, there's you it's third down. You can still pump the ball and trust your defense. I think this is going for it with a pass would be just as much trusting your defense as anything because you'd have to trust them with a little bit more time on the clock. Yeah, so that, that, the, the that's whole thing a fair, about trusting a, your defense doesn't really make sense to me at all. Yeah, I, I, that's a that's a fair point to some degree. But with 50 extra seconds, let's say you throw an incompletion, there's a minute 54 to go with 50 extra seconds. That's about six or seven extra plays. It really is. I That's a lot to ask at that point. Well, I guess, but I, I mean, I guess I, my point is the argument you're trusting your defense more by running the ball isn't really true. If you're passing mm. the ball, that's where you'd be like, yeah, we're really trusting our defense to, to get a big stop right here. So I, 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 I don't I'd really rather trust them with 60. I'd rather trust them with 64 seconds than a minute 54. Yeah, and that makes sense to me. So the argument is to run more time off the clock, essentially. And and I understand that, and I don't think it's a bad argument, especially against an incompetent offense. I'll say this. If you're playing most of the other quarterbacks the Bengals have faced recently, I don't like that decision at all because it's no, way too common for teams to march right down the field and score a touchdown with that and, much time and, left and, on the clock. Yes, and, and again, I think all this is 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 opponent contingent. If this is Justin Herbert with a minute four, or this is – um, Garoppolo even Garoppolo maybe with well, maybe not him but but uh, yes another quarterback that had been hot or has been hot against you all day then yes it's Drew Locke man he's a backup for a reason and yeah he got hot for a bit and they shell shocked you for a bit but at that point I I thought it was the right decision to make yeah I, I can live with it's, it but it's not I, like they, I always it's not like they took it. a knee. Right. I always prefer, especially when you've got a guy like Joe Burrow, because I think what you can do, and yes, it's easier said than done. It's not easy to just do a simple play. And if it's not there, go down. Right. But with a guy like Joe Burrow, I think you can maybe call something where it's a rollout play. You give him a chance. You well, know, the other thing he's been doing great is carving them up in man with runs. If they go yeah. man again in that situation and he's able to just take off on a, a little scamper for the first down, that's an option too. So I would rather just give Joe Burrow a couple options where 
as you pointed out, you've got your second string right guard, your third string right tackle, and you're, you're not running successfully really over that right side of the line either. So I just don't love the play call there, but it's not a huge deal to me either way. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I will say to your point, and, and I can't remember when it came, but you, you probably refresh me on this, but there was a circumstance where they ran a bootleg in the fourth quarter where Joe did roll out and then literally gave himself up to keep the clock running. Um, and, and so you're right. I mean, and he's smart maybe, enough to do that. If it's right, not there, he's right. down. And I'll give you that part. Maybe you trust him to do that. I just, again, I'm just going to tell you what I said in real time. and I'm going to stick with it. I, I'm, I'm, I was fine with it. The play calling from Zach Taylor, because th- there was a very similar situation last week. Now, last week, it was much more in favor of they should have definitely been passing. This week was much more of a toss up, but similar arguments. You hear a lot of people questioning the play calling of Zach Taylor. Once again, we've criticized his play calling at times. I was just wondering, we're at this point now where the Bengals are eight and six. They are first place in the AFC North, at least for now. Is it unfair to criticize or be unhappy with the play calling for this team? Or is it reasonable to look at it from the perspective of they could be 10 and four and one of the best teams in the NFL right now? with a little bit better play call. Yeah, I, I think for last week, for sure. I, I really didn't have much of a problem with this play calling today. I, I think you're playing a really good pass defense. Um, the way your defense is playing, um, uh, you know, that I thought they had a couple of really good opportunities in a run game where Joe Mixon just had a chance to pop it and he didn't. And, and you know, you're, you're again, you're playing with some backup offensive linemen. So you don't want to expose Joe for a long time in the pocket to sit and throw. And then the one play design that got Tyler Boyd, the touchdown was just brilliant. I mean, I thought the play design was great. The execution was obviously great. Um, and you schemed your way to a huge touchdown when you needed it most. So I, I know the numbers didn't look great. 249 yards and 12 first downs, um, you know, hundred and whatever, 57 passing yards. You know, the Bengals believe it or not this year, they're four and one when they have passed for less than 200 yards. I'll take it. I'll take it. Isn't it amazing, though, how they always seem to get the big play as soon as they actually need it? Like once the game flips and they become a little bit desperate or have a little bit of urgency, like when they went down after the touchdown for Denver, all of a sudden right away they call that play up for Boyd and get a 50-plus yard touchdown. Isn't that interesting how that always happens this year? It is, and and maybe some of it is the natural letdown of the other team of okay, we've you know we're we're doing our job and we just took the lead and all of a sudden they hit you with something. Yeah, I, I mean I think there's some human nature to that too. But it is you're right. I mean they they hit some big plays where you're thinking, oh boy, in trouble now, and then boom, big play, and suddenly back to the lead. But again, I just I I get you wish they were more dynamic at times, and they probably should be at times. And um, you know, 249 yards is not a great offensive performance, but I thought they managed the game really well. I do. Well, and to Zach Taylor's credit, there's been a lot of questions and concerns about his team's ability to win close games. And this was a game they needed to have, a close game that came down to a player two at the end, and they did find a way to win one. So you got to give him credit for that. The the play you talked about with Tyler Boyd, where everything was flowing to the right and he leaks out to the left. He's got a one-on-one that he's able to just burn the guy. That was totally scheme. It was all on Zach Taylor. You got to give him credit for that. That was a great call. The other great moment of the game, I thought, was right after, I don't know what Vic Fangio was doing at the end of the first half and the clock management on Denver's side there, but they missed the field goal. And right away, the Bengals throw over the middle, get a mid-range pass off to Tyler Boyd and kick the field goal right before the gun. That was a really good aggressive moment by the offense too, I thought. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I tweeted out after you missed the field goal. I said, you know, Brandon McManus misses a 51-yard field goal, and it's going to go 3-3 at halftime. And then I kind of looked up, and I went, wait a minute, nine seconds. I actually retweeted myself with a correction. I said, well, m- m- you only need about 15 yards to get a chance for McPherson to kick a 60-yarder. And lo and behold, they get 19 yards to get him to kick a 58-yarder. And talking about a huge six-point swing, I mean, let, let's let's go back. Again, the game will play out differently, obviously, right? But take the three off the Bengals' scoreboard, put three on their scoreboard, and that's a 13-12 to 12 Denver win. In theory, things will play out differently the way the game ended, obviously. But that was a big six-point swing. Huge six-point swing in a game that's that low scoring and that ugly and points are so hard to come by. That was a massive moment. I mean, there are plenty of coaches who would have taken a knee right there in that situation with nine seconds left. Yeah, and I, I in, in my coaching grade, I gave them an A minus, and I actually gave them a lot of credit for that decision. And um, you know, it was, it, it, I think that's where you have a little knowledge of. And, and you, I, I'll, I'll be, I'm a little surprised when you saw the Denver defense, and they played a really deep, almost cover three or cover six shell, and left the middle of the field wide open with the Bengals having a timeout left. They were literally almost inviting them to go, go ahead and throw one here, go ahead and throw a 15, 20 yarder. And I'm thinking. Okay, go ahead and throw a 15, 20-yarder. I would have loved to see McPherson try it from 62 yards if that was the case. Instead, 58 was right in the wheelhouse, man. Yeah, longest field goal ever by a Bengal. Is that right? That, that, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah, he yarder. continues to be an excellent draft oh, choice. What a word. weapon. I mean, dude, he's 9 of 10 from 50-plus. Think about that. And the one miss was the right upright against uh, Green Bay from 57 yards. Not short or wide or, you know, Hit the right upright from 57 yards and swirling wins in that game that day. He's been, he's, he's money. It's he's, weird to feel like 50 plus yarders are expected or almost routine. Those used to be a, oh, this is a Hail Mary shot. You know, we're just, right. we're just going to try this because it's the end of the half or whatever. Now it's like, if the Bengals get in that range, they're almost settling there now. They're like, oh yeah, we're good. We're within 50. No, it, it, I mean, I, Listen, when Justin Tucker, since Justin Tucker's been in this league, when the Bengals have played the Ravens, I've even thought a ton of times of, oh, here come the Ravens close to 50. You better you better not allow one more first down or they're going to get some points out of this. And usually they do. And it's, it's I think it's just a huge weapon. And I'm going to guess that Vic Fangio didn't even think, and I, granted, I would have kicked the 51 yarder, but his clock management was, his clock management was horrible. That was, they, they should have probably been more aggressive. Yeah, they should have been more aggressive or at the end been less aggressive and let the clock run out and make that the final play of the first half. It was horrible the way he did it, and he gave the Bengals a fighting chance. I mean, he should put the point the finger inward about how he handled that last you know minute plus because it felt like they were just trying to settle for a field goal, and that's fine if you do it on the last play of the half. Don't suddenly miss one from 41 or you know from the 41-yard line, 51 yards, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, crap, that guy's got a howitzer, and they got nine seconds and a timeout. Uh oh! I'm surprised he wasn't more aggressive defensively and allowed the bank. He literally, basically, allowed the Bengals that completion, or his coordinator did. That, that was a strange sequence from them. They had all their timeouts. They could do pretty much anything they wanted. Anything. And it seemed like anything. they got stuck in between all the options and just made a really bad call to kick my, 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 nine seconds left. My guy Paul Daner from the Athletic, and I used to cover the Bengals with the end with. with, with him at the Enquirer. We, we call that the Marvin Lewis syndrome. Marvin That's exactly caught, what it was. He, he got caught in the middle of times, a lot of times of, well, you don't want to give him too much time, but you don't want to give him enough, but you want to try to be aggressive, but you don't want to be too aggressive. No, dude, do one or two, do, do one or the other. Either run the clock out and call it a half or go get yourself a bunch of points. Two other things that stood out to me during this game from an offensive perspective. One, 
I had talked about Joe Burrow in the pocket maybe a month or so back, and I mentioned that it just felt like he was uncomfortable still, and he wasn't great at sliding in the pocket or climbing in the pocket and finding those holes where he can settle in, keep his eyes downfield, and continue to look to throw. He was good at scrambling and getting out of the pocket, but didn't move around in the pocket quite as well. He has made rapid improvement in that area, and you saw it on full display in this game. He was really good maneuvering within the pocket, staying in a throwing position with his eyes downfield to where he could make a play. Oftentimes he ended up running in those situations, but he really got some good protection. First of all, from a skeleton crew offensive line. And then second, he kept his eyes downfield, bought himself some more time and ended up making some plays. I think what we're really seeing there is him being confident in his knee and not thinking about it as much has made a huge difference in his playing ability. Yeah, no question. And, and you're right. I mean, you look at the raw numbers, it's four rushes for 26 yards on scrambles, which is pretty good on itself. But how many other plays did he extend? I mean, he extended one where he should have gotten sacked and threw a heck of an incompletion on, on, yeah. on, a, on a play. It, uh, was, it know, was a brilliant incompletion. It, it really it really was. And that I, I think I think you're dead right. I saw your tweet, and I think you're dead right about the fact that he's getting more confidence in the knee. And the, the, the more he does that, I still, you know what scares me more than him dancing around in the pocket and, and is him sliding. The slides are ugly. Always dude. weird. Always Ooh, weird. He doesn't want good. to slide. You can tell. And then he always <laughs> goes down in an awkward fashion. It's like, dude, you've got to figure this thing out because yes, it, yes. The, the problem is he kind of like sticks the landing a lot and like right. me. And one time he's going to get someone coming down behind him and carry all that weight along with that it's it's gonna end up bad it just or, you can or feel get a it cleat, coming. yeah or get a cleat stuck i mean every time yeah. he does i'm like what are you doing but i think back to your point there's no there's no doubt that that the confidence in the knee is is growing week to week to week and i think it's allowed him and, and he's made good decisions too it's 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 the good decisions to scramble rick but it's not being reckless right it is trying to slide it is you know getting down when you need to get down it is spinning away to throw an incompletion when you know th- need to throw an incompletion i think he's done a good job of all that without being reckless um despite the fact that he can't slide that's the reckless part at this point but i I, hopefully he figures that part out the other thing that i've noticed and this goes all the way back to the bye week if you remember at that time we were coming off a game where tyler boyd either didn't get a target or didn't have a catch or whatever we were talking about what's going on this guy was your most frequently targeted receiver a year ago and now all of a sudden he can't even get a look what what's going on? And Zach Taylor did vow to say, hey, we got to find ways to, to get him more involved and make sure we don't forget about him or something to that effect. I'm obviously paraphrasing there. They have done a really good job of making sure he is involved. And you saw that today. If nothing else, just that designed play that we were talking about before for the touchdown was a play specifically designed to go to Tyler Boyd. And he had the big catch that led to the, the field goal opportunity at the end of the first half. It, it just seems like They've been true to their word in that regard. Both Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor said they were going to try to get Tyler Boyd more involved, and they've done that since the bye week. Yeah, I think they've just done a good job of, of, of really taking what the defense gives them. I do think you're right. That was definitely a design play for Tyler Boyd, and he ended up with four catches for 95 when he's not had a ton of big games here lately. But it feels like, and this is what happens when you have three good receivers, right? For a while, it's Jamar Chase. For a while, it's T. Higgins. You get a little Tyler Boyd mixed in, and now it's Tyler Boyd. Couple games it was CJ Uzama, a um, few games it was the running game, and that's where I think you've got yourself something going. Of I know today doesn't seem very dynamic, and it wasn't with 249 yards and 15 points, but it really is for defenses. 
Pick your poison. What do you want to take away? You want to take away him? Okay. You want to take away him? Okay. And, and there's a lot of teams that you take away one guy and maybe two, and you got nothing else to go to. Bengals got other guys to go to, and Tyler Boyd today was the other guy to go to. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going back to the, the bye week. Coming out of that, they played the Raiders. He got eight targets in that game, only two against Pittsburgh, but he got seven against the Chargers, five against the 49ers, six against Denver in this one. It, it, he has paid dividends, too. He has made big plays for them. He's had catches of 30-plus yards in the last two games and then a 56-yarder today. He's he's given them something because they are using them, and I think it just makes your offense a little more balanced. You saw Joe and Jamar's chemistry that they had early in the season, and that's great, obviously, but it's also a whole lot tougher to guard you when you're using all of your weapons, and I think you've seen some of that, too. Yeah, no question. And that's where I think that's where, like a lot of teams, you look and you go, okay, that guy's really good, but who else on that offense is dynamic? Uh, you got you got four guys dynamic on this offense, the three wide receivers and Joe Mixon for sure, and a pretty good quarterback to, to, to make it all work. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's where you look up and you go, okay, it was this guy this week and this guy that week and that guy this week and this guy that week and these three guys this week, and we scored 41. And so, yeah, I, I, I think it's a great place to be. I, I know you want, not you, but people want them to constantly be dynamic. Listen, sometimes there's defense in this league that are really good, and Denver was really good, and today was a manage-the-game day. Take a couple shots. Remember, they took a shot to chase down the field, I think in the second half, Rick, that uh, that didn't connect, but they took a shot. They thought they had man coverage, and they did, and just didn't connect. But then they had to pull out one big play, one big play, and it went to Tyler Boyd for a touchdown. Well, I mean, thankfully, one, Vic Fangio did what he did at the end of the first half, which completely had that six-point swing, which made a big difference in a 15-10 to game. And also that the Broncos were inept on offense and the Bengals' defense played really well because, quite honestly, I don't know that that offensive performance and the play calling was good enough in that game to be what you typically need to win an NFL game. But against that opponent in that moment, it was. And that's a lot of what the NFL is about, is just finding a way on any given day. It's not like college, and we've talked about this before, where if you're UC, you need to blow out some of these American Athletic Conference opponents late in the season, right? It means something if you don't beat them by a certain amount of points. That impacts your resume, so to speak. In the NFL, there's none of that. It doesn't matter how the win looks as long as you just find a way to win the game. And the Bengals did that in this one. A couple things to wrap up here. Joe Mixon with the injury to his ankle. Is there any more details that came out about that after the game? No, Zach was asked after the game about that injury, the Joe Batchy injury, the Khalid Kareem injury. And I think there was anybody else. I think those were the three main ones, if I recall. And he said he had no update and was going to check on it after his press conference. Well, it doesn't help anybody in the press conference. So uh, tomorrow we have media availability, and I'm going to guess all that stuff is – well, I'm not going to guess. All that stuff will come up, so we'll know more then. But, um, you know, the fact that Joe really – couldn't go back and he tried it and they spatted his foot um, and he's dealt with this before this year. I don't think that's good. The fact that Joe Batchy was out and left is not good. Um, and the fact that Khalid Kareem got carted off is not good. And Khalid Kareem was, I think that's going to be the understated part of today is how good that guy was. Um, you know, the, the huge raw stats weren't, weren't big, but um, you know, he's, he, he put a quarterback pressure on, he had a tackle for loss. He has the forced fumble that he recovers that steals out of the guy's hands. I mean, that, talk about a rotational guy. I mean, that's huge. The strip was an amazing play. It was a ridiculous sequence of football. Yes, it was. Can, can yes, we it talk was. about for a second? He was down by contact, so it didn't end up mattering other than the fact that he got injured on the play and right. now is in, in jeopardy. But as he's returning that 
strip back the other way. And he is encountered by Drew Locke near the sideline. He essentially tried to do what you'll see like an athletic wing or point guard in basketball do when they're driving down the lane and they try either a Euro step or like a jump stop and they swing the ball over top of the defender's head. He basically tried to do that with Drew Locke with a football, not the best idea for ball security. Yeah, you know, because turnovers in basketball, you get 16 to 20 maybe a game, right, or 12 to 20. So those happened. They're not supposed to happen in football. They're not supposed to happen when you just give one right back like that. You can't be that careless with the football. There's a defensive lineman. And and at one point, I'm like, either give it to somebody or just get the hell down, dude. Oh, that was a uh, quite a scene for sure, watching him try to do that. Yes, but yes. Uh, it all worked out in the Bengals favor. Um, the playoff picture real quick. The Bengals are yep. now the four seed in the AFC as things stand. They're first in the AFC North, but that's all with Cleveland's game pending. It got pushed to Monday or Tuesday. Uh, they are mo- there tomorrow at five o'clock. They're the okay. first the, the doubleheader tomorrow. On so Monday. they got pushed yep. to Monday or today. If you're listening or to, or today, if you're listening to it on a Monday, not to confuse people on Monday, let's just say Monday at five o'clock. We'll leave it at that. that that's what I was going with. So they, they got pushed to Monday. If they were to win that game, they'll be tied with the Bengals, but they have the tiebreaker over the Bengals. So they would be the four seed in the AFC, first in the AFC North. Bengals would go to the six seed, second wild card spot, correct? Yes. And the only good part to that, though, is Cleveland would go three and two. Um, I'm sorry, they're, they're two and two in the division. So they still got a couple of division games left. The Bengals are now, um, the Bengals are three and one in the division with two left. If the Bengals beat Baltimore and be, and the thing is, you still got everything in front of you. If the Bengals beat Baltimore and beat Cleveland, then you are the the uh, the leader and in, in, you're going to probably win the division. I mean, if the Bengals can go two and one down the stretch with wins over Baltimore and Cleveland, you're going to win the division. Right. They, that, and that's what was so big about this game is it ensured that you controlled your own destiny the rest of the way. You win those two games and you're good. Yeah, I mean, you could argue if the Steelers went 3-0, and and that's going to be very difficult because the Steelers still have at the Chiefs this week, the Browns, and at the Ravens, right? So um, if the Steelers went 3-0 and and the Bengals went 2-1, and uh, the Steelers would be 10-6-1, and the Bengals would be 10-7. and But I don't think the Steelers are going 3-0. and So there's that. There's that. Ravens next Sunday in Cincinnati at 1 p.m. Anything else to uh, add to this one? No, I, I mean, the, the fact that, um, you know, they, they've they've put themselves in this position. Now you, you you really do. This has been the whole the whole second half of the season has been control your own destiny, right? Well, you, you didn't really take care of business at home the way you should have. And you put yourself in a really tough spot today to have to go win because it was have to go win. I think today if they lose, they may lose the rest of the games. And even if they don't, they're not going to play. The, the, the thing is so jumbled up. You lose a bunch of tiebreaker advantages. You put yourself in a tough spot in the division. It, and it helped that Baltimore lost, yes. It would have helped even more if Pittsburgh had lost. It'll help even more if Cleveland loses. But bottom line is, even with all that happening, again, Pittsburgh could go 3-0 and if you go 2-1 and and win the division. I just don't see that happening. I think yeah. they lose the Chiefs on the road next week, and that gets them to seven losses. So at that point, then you literally are, if the, if the Steelers get to the seventh loss, you are then literally at the point of, if you go 2-1, and one, you will win this division because you'll give, for sure, Cleveland a seventh loss. You will give, uh, for sure, Baltimore a seventh loss. You will then own the tiebreaker head-to-head over Baltimore, and you'll own the divisional head-to-head, or the divisional, you'll be split head-to-head with Cleveland, and you'll own the divisional uh, record with Cleveland. So that's all that matters. If they lose to Kansas City, Pittsburgh, and you go two and one with the two divisional wins, you win it. And that's on you. 
a lot to look forward to. Also, shout out to Eli Apple, who has strung together like four or five consecutive good games for the first time in his career and is now tweeting like he's Chad Ochocinco on Twitter and firing shots at Jerry Judy and telling (laughs) the uh, Ravens that Lamar is going to be generous next week with turnovers. So uh, good for Eli Apple. He's he's having himself a night on Twitter. I'm I'm happy for him. I'm going to guess the scotch kicked in or something kicked in or maybe a doobie or two kicked in, but something kicked in and that's okay. That's okay, man. But remember, everybody got receipts. Everybody got receipts, myself included. We all got receipts. That's right. Be careful, Eli. That's all I'm going to tell you. Be careful. All right. I think that wraps it up. That's all I got. All right, man. Good stuff. I appreciate it as always. We'll be back with our uh, midweek podcast around Wednesday or Thursday. Probably eh, we'll see where we're back. I don't even know what basketball is like this week. We may do a Wednesday. We'll see where it is. Where's Xavier play this week, Rick? Uh, NKU is at Indiana on Wednesday night, and Xavier is at Villanova on Tuesday night. All right, so let's plan on a Thursday podcast, can we? That sounds good to me. Our normal podcast time. So we'll do Thursday. We'll be back with our our, uh, weekly podcast then. We'll be back with another Bengals podcast one week from today as the Bengals take on the Ravens with a chance to really take a hand up inside the AFC North. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the Bengals Post Game Edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lane.